Testicles is the famous um, Greek um, philosopher, Testicles. Do you know him? Yeah. I've heard he was a real ball. (laughs) Or he was having a ball. I don't know. Fuck it. He was dating Lucille Ball. Here we go. Let's just do the thing. Let's do the thing. All right. It's it's one of those days. Things are (laughs) a little hot. I'm congested. You're congesticated. And let me tell you, I notice when I listen back to the show, I hear, I'm like, man, Mike is congested. I am. Makes me think congested. you were on a coke bender of a kind. I wouldn't be here if I was. Wouldn't be here if I wasn't. <laughs> and we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat. And I'm a congested Mike. And boy, do we have a show for you today on RMA. Summertime, summertime, some, some, summertime is here. Mike (laughs) gets called back to work, throwing his newly attained balance between life, work, family, and fun. And New York calls off drive-thru booze to go. And we discuss the stages of recovery, all this and more today on a very special edition of RMA. I got to take you higher. Not over some cocaine, a uh, 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 piece of grass, or uh, some uh, uh, heroin. Heroin. But Jimmy was going to take him higher than that. So let's also not forget that this is our 4th of July show. Yes. Right. Independence Day. So I thank Little Richard for that intro thank and uh, Jimi Hendrix for... Providing uh, the version he played at Woodstock. Jimi Hendrix's life is so interesting and tragic. It is. In like, uh, oh man. He took a lot of acid though. Yeah, but so did I. And I lived. I mean, he took probably more. Probably more. Did choke to death on his own vomit. At it, the Isle of Wight Festival. It, it was an ignominious demise. Yes, for one with such great talent. That's so, true. Explanation point. What does ignominious mean? I and mean, isn't it mean like it means like something a, that it happens badly yeah, or like it ends things that end badly. Right. Right. Yeah. So like if you trip and fall into a pile of dog shit and die, that's an ignominious demise. It is. Um, so there you go. Explanation point without the annoying okay. sound. So uh, visit us at the middle ages recovery.com. The middle ages recovery.com. Visit <laughs> us. Uh, Podbean, Apple podcast, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, and Twitter. Uh, join the discussion on our less exclusive and private Facebook group. It's been kind of quiet in there. Well, I was cause just, we haven't really been paying much attention no, to I, it. It doesn't give me like, I don't get notifications yeah, you know the way I should. So I'm hoping. Well, we've got Jeff D as a moderator, and I think Grant would be a great moderator too because he seems like he's on top of things. Yes, he sh- Grant should be given more responsibility. I agree in, in, the, in, our, in our podcast. G money smooth. I dub the he uh, he provides us with information. Yes, and uh, signposts and enthusiasm. And, yes, yeah, it's really all about things the enthusiasm. that you know can wane in our <laughs> yes. neck of the woods. Um, yeah, so we're really getting into the merchandise design. Merchandising, I, I wish, merchandising. I wish uh, 
Jeff is probably very frustrated with us for not sending him any blank shirts. We should probably get on that. I know, I know. He can, every couple of days, he's like, hey, guys, what do you think of this? Well, and we're like, that's cool. fantastic. We'll he, send you some shirts. And he's then, got some awesome designs. I want to print them all. I want to do everything. Toddler outfits. I yeah, want to do onesies. Sun hats. Onesies with uh, alcohol iconography on them. I know. <laughs> Not that those don't already exist, no. but maybe they're coming from a different it's just angle. Like, do you ever see those <laughs> the toddler shirts? It's like, mommy needs one. Yeah. Like, it's not even right. funny or clever. It's no. just like, <laughs> we should make ones that say like, help, my mom's an alcoholic. Middleagesrecovery.com. Yeah. <laughs> 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 or like, call CPS. Yeah. Uh, so that, that stuff will be up soon, guys. Oh, oh and somebody bought a t-shirt. They did. Not yeah. that we sent it to them, but somebody did buy it. There, there was actually an issue with the order. I have oh, to con- no. Something happened, and I have to contact him, and we're just going to... Did they not send the money? Is that the issue? Because that's I'm, an issue. Paul told me there was, he did buy it, and then that something went wrong, and he, like rejected it or something. And, and in any case, I'm, okay. we'll get that gentleman a shirt. So, mystery listener, uh, well, we're, we're on it. I have your address. We have our best men on it. Our best men. <laughs> Indiana Jones, anyone? Uh, yeah, and tell us your story, as always, by logging on to middleagesrecovery.com. Scroll down and fill out the Your Story form, and you could have your review read on the air like Pterodaxel Oh, look did at it. The, the P is, is going Is about to. Pterodaxel. Pterodactyl. Pterodaxel says, love it. I'm a new parent, stepdad. And in recovery, and I love this podcast, especially the open-mindedness to all paths towards recovery. Keep it up. Short but sweet. Thanks, buddy. And, uh, or, yeah, your dad, stepdad. Okay. I don't want to assume gender. That, no. That gets you in trouble now. Uh, you, can, you need to indicate what your pronouns are, or what is your desire? I don't know. We, like, RMI, our desired pronouns are they and them, right? Well, because pterodactyl could go either way, so I appreciate the hint. Yeah. By saying stepdad, even though step dinosaur, be. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, and that's all it takes, ladies and gentlemen of the RMA audience, monsters, monsters, as um, Grant, I believe, Grant um, that at us, and you know, and he is one of the monsters. So I feel like it's got more. You if you know, really hate monster, let us know, and we'll come up with something. Yeah, else. I feel like when when the name comes from the people, yeah, not from us, right? I think it's you know. So we're very communist. Maybe this should be something uh, to each according to his needs and from each according to what? Uncle Carl, right? Abilities? Abilities yeah. or means or means, something. I don't know. Good old Karl Marx. Good old, good old Karl. I am not a communist. I believe in Did you just feel the need to say that for the audience? Yes. Yeah, okay. I am not a communist. <laughs> I think it's assumed. I'm more of a... <laughs> not in this day and age, man. <laughs> it's true. Who fucking commie? <laughs> people so, don't call people commies enough. I think hey, we should bring that back. You know what's worse than the bad coffee next door? What's that? When, when I really, make it? When it's really hot. <laughs> <laughs> I added milk to it. It's fucking hot. Um, and, it, and it's hot in here. So take off. I'm going to complain. Hey, um, do you have generalized anxiety about being called back to work? Yeah, I got fucked this week by my, my company. With no Vaseline, just a match and a little bit of gasoline. There was a, there was a little Vaseline. Oh, uh, yeah, the, the Vaseline was, it doesn't, we don't have to come back until September 27th. But the bad part is it's full time and there's no you know, allowances being made. So um, yeah, I walked around in a daze the other day because yeah. they kind of dropped it on us without much advance warning. You were in such dire straits that you came to speak I with did. your tandem sponsor. I came in. Me? I came in. I rode my, my, 
I rode my midlife crisis down. <laughs> down. You to should your, see this uh, guy. Shop. He walks around with this. You know, you ever see these motorcycle guys? They carry their helmet around uh, because I guess it'll get stolen. Well, what else am I going to do with it? I can't leave it on the bike. Someone's going to steal it. You should just wear it. You should just wear it everywhere. You know, for a while, places that were requiring masks during yeah. COVID, I would just wear the helmet. They didn't say you couldn't yeah. wear a motorcycle right. helmet. And I would so. just keep the glass down, which is the added benefit of I didn't have to communicate with people very well. But but no, I'm very proud of you because with our tandem sponsoring program that we're going to release pretty soon. I mean, this is what we do, right? <laughs> right Are we releasing what we that? Do. Yeah. You know, you've got an issue, you're feeling uncomfortable, and this is the time where you reach out. And even if there is no answer, because I don't have the answers, you know, nobody really does. But it's just in the, the act of like saying it out loud to someone else. So it's not in your head and didn't fix it. Obviously, you're still going back to work. But, you know, now it's out there and we can work on it together. There's, you know, <laughs> It made me, um, it calmed me down some. Um, and that's the way. I mean, my wife also was like talking me off the ledge, which I greatly appreciate. Yeah, um, use all your resources. I'm the same way. Like now that um, my wife and I have a much better relationship these past few years, you know, she's my go-to, mm-hmm. you know, besides my tandem sponsor. Because some things you don't want to take to your like kids, friends, parents, people, you know, like <laughs> they're, they're all great. You know, they're great right. people. We hang out with them and stuff, but you know, you never, I never, I should say, I never want to like bring stuff like that to them. It's always awkward. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I left here and then I went home and I wrote my boss, uh, an email. <laughs> and do you sent it or didn't, was I it one did, of an angry, angry email? You uh, it started as an angry email, but because I'm trained as an attorney, I go back and I revise everything a hundred times as if I'm still billing somebody for it. So, um, yeah, I, I went I through it, aforementioned. I went through it like six times and got it to a, a point where I, it, it, um, it was basically a plea for extra days because, um, because otherwise I'm going to go insane uh, driving back and forth to New Jersey. And I sent it and he sent me a nice email in response. Uh, and, you know, I tell, told me the channels I need to kind of go through to try and get that going. So I'm going to do that and see how that happens. I'm going to take this one day at a time. And I'm not, I realized how much future tripping I was doing at, at the minute I started projecting in, into how just miserable like, my life was going to be in the next like six months. Knots. Yeah, man, that guy, you're, I got to tell critic. you, man, he's like my... He's like my guru now. That guy. <laughs> that guy is. Uh, I mean, he's a he's a flawed guru. Well, but you're both geez. tall, blonde, uh, white lawyers, right? Um, who were convicted of a sex crime? Oh wait, no, <laughs> no, Mike was not convicted no, of a sex I was crime. Not. But not convicted. <laughs> no, <but> maybe <laughs> not to joke about that, but we joke about everything here. So, yeah. so I mean, I, I guess what the audience is really wondering, though is how will this affect the show? Will we go on? Will we go our separate ways? Will RMA soon exist only as an afterthought, a fond memory? It could have been. Listen next week and find out. I'm just reading your fucking out. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah, that is I, I started writing it like it was the end of like a movie serial, which I'm too young to have experienced, but you know, we've got to get people, pull people in, but like, you know, this is uh, something we worried about. We've been talking about this. We said, this uh, podcast is great. Um, we love it. It keeps me sober. And, um, and now people are also listening to it, not just us. And, um, I don't know, it means a lot to us and we both want it to continue and we'll make it work. Obviously it's going to continue. I think it'll be better. I may do some call-ins from the Cross Bronx Expressway while I'm sit where I'm sitting in traffic, pounding my skull against the steering wheel. I think yeah, that'll be maybe our because once we get our Patreon moving, which will be like exclusive content, you know, it'll be like two or three bucks a month, and um, and we'll release a bunch of extra stuff on there. Um, I don't know. I 
I'm doing that for, you know, because my favorite podcasts, when they do a Patreon, I love it. I pay the three bucks. And yeah. I, like with Dopey, Why I not? get an extra episode. I get exclusive videos. I just, I love it. It's more content. And I'm. We just need to come up with the content. To right. Make it worth right. people's while. And yeah. So we don't want to put out some half ass product before we have it, you know, yeah. dialed in. So stay mm. tuned. We'll, we'll give you an opportunity to send us money. I promise. <laughs> but <laughs> I think the, uh, the transition to uh, a night. I mean, we're going to have to do this at night. I think this is going to work for the show. Yeah. I think I this go to is going to be at nine though. Yeah. Well, this is, gonna, it's your <laughs> yeah. art sacrifice for your art. You know, I when I was in that, in a band or two, you know, I struggle with that because everyone had well, to that's rehearse. What cocaine is for. If you're in a band. <laughs> I, I don't have the benefit of that. I wasn't good at playing guitar while I was coked. No, I had because to you wait. always wanted to do more coke. That, and it would make my hand shake. And oh. so I would have, I was very good before the performance because we were like kind of, we were pretending to be professional in any case. And so I really wanted to nail it. And then I would go nuts. Right. And crash my car into a snowbank on the way home. That's and, what would happen. I mean, uh, you know, you, you know, the dead, eventually Jerry just started, he, he got bored with the dead in the late night, in the mid nineties. So he just started nodding out on stage <laughs> and he would play the same repetitive pattern on the guitar isn't over that, and over and right, over. Right. That's and the over grateful over. dead. Isn't that their <laughs> yeah, formula funny, for success? Funny, funny. He walked right into that. It took a while for people to notice. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. I love these four chords. Poor Jerry. I want to hear them again a thousand times. It'll be uh, 21 years in August since Jerry has left uh, the building. Well, they're very sad. It is sad. So uh, I guess you had a fun day last Sunday, living your best life there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dripping with sarcasm. No, no, no. Just it's all love, man. Well, look, you know, after we do our show on Friday, um, inevitably I start the new outline for the next show. Like... Either Sunday or Monday. And so I'm always like hyped up on what I did Sunday. That's why I do such a lot about it. But yeah, I mean, look, uh, in recovery, you know, being sober, uh, life just gets so much better and so much easier. Um, you know, there's still problems. We talk about our problems, but they're, they're workable. Um, but I had this Sunday that I would have never had what do we know? I'm just thinking, I'm sorry. Yes, I, I don't, go on. I don't want to interrupt we, you. We didn't I, record or it recorded. I need a noise that when you share a, um, a nugget of wisdom, Thanks for a sharing. bell rings or something. <laughs> <laughs> How about the, um, the gong or is that to, um, I don't know. Continue. I, I, I'll figure it out. So it was Sunday morning. Um, church is sort of out for the summer. I mean, I, I'll go and everything. So I, I, really, I don't have to work as a Sunday school teacher. Church is out for <laughs> summer. And and so I don't have to teach Sunday school and prepare a lesson or anything like that. And the kids, we don't make them go to church in the summer. So I'm like, <laughs> 7 Definitely o'clock. Not Catholic. Everybody's sleeping in. And I'm up at 7 o'clock. And I'm like... I'm paying all this money to go to the gym. Uh, I'm going to the gym. I went to the gym. Nobody's there but me. It's great. Worked out, and I came back, and uh, pl- and then Max was around. Um, oh, I came back, and my wife had a, a plant or something. She's like, I can't get this in the ground. Can you do it? I'm like, yes. I just got back from where the gym. Where did she get the plant from? I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know where she gets these things. They just... Yeah. That's <laughs> Here not you it. Go. Oh, and, um, and so I, I, you know, got the shovel, and... Like a real man, I uh, buried this plant, and then did you leave uh, a little out at the top. I did. Out of the, the, the whole thing wasn't. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Although she does say that I planted it the wrong way. Did you plant uh, it too deep? I planted it like backwards or something. 
So I may have to do that. So I played Legos with Max. We had a great day. My other boy slept in and um, I feel like he's entering that. He's 10, but um, he's beginning to turn as they say. I mean, you've seen this happen to your children. Oh, yes. But I have. It made me think uh, one time Howard Stern referred to going through puberty as like like turning into a werewolf. And I always thought that was just How would so, he know? He's oh, not apropos. gone through puberty yet. <laughs> Howard Stern. <laughs> he is puberty. He's like the physical manifestation of uh, puberty. And um, it just made me think like, and I know a lot of parents who are listening right now can uh, appreciate this. I mean, there is a turn you know, uh, that we see in boys, probably girls too. And they just begin to get more surly. They start to sleep later. They begin to snap at you for yes. seemingly no reason. They don't care for your company quite as much. No, no. And it gets kind of depressing. So, um, you know, we're dealing with that. He's starting to sleep in. So here's where the point I'm getting to. Max went to a pool party, meeting some new friends. And when Noah finally got up, I'm like, what do you want to do? And he's like, oh, there's this new Rick and Morty. And I know what you're thinking. Rick and Morty is completely inappropriate for a 10-year-old. Still, he watches it. And um, <laughs> he, there was a new drink at Wendy's that has a Rick and Morty cup. So I said, let's get out of the house. Let's go. We drove to two different Wendy's all over the island. Neither of them had it. But the second Wendy's was next to a bowling alley. And I'm like, I'm spontaneous, Dad. In the next town over? Uh, yeah. Should have started with that one. Yeah, well, they didn't have it either. Oh. So nobody had this special Rick and Morty's cup or whatever. So we just sort of went bowling. And I'm like, let's do it. You know, it was a great time. Bowling is great. Yeah, I mean, I suck at it, but um, we had fun. Did you put the bumpers up? Uh, We did. We did, of course. (laughs) Uh, I won't say what I bowled because it's um, embarrassing. Did you need the bumpers? Uh, yeah, I need the bumpers. Yeah. I'm not that good at bowling and I always throw it too hard and hurt myself. But, uh, we just had a great time and, and my buddy is struggling like emotionally and having a really hard time with, with, uh, returning to life after the pandemic. He's really, really struggling. Mm-hmm. And, um, we're, uh, my wife and I are speaking to a, uh, a psychologist, mm-hmm. a guy who specializes in, you know, what's going on with kids around Noah's age. And uh, it's been really great for, for me and, and Christine because the last we did like so far, he's talking to us only. Yeah. And we're like giving him the story. We're like, here's how we're handling, you know, this scenario and that scenario and how is he behaving? And, you know, and we're really getting some nice, some good strategy meetings. Uh, things are even going better because of it. And we're on the same page a little bit more. That's great. And it's so important. I mean, it's also still very difficult, but we can see that some of what we're picking up from this um, therapist is really helping with the idea is he's now going to start meeting with Noah, um, you know, one alone, on one. one-on-one. Yeah. That's how he works. Right. Um, and I'm very excited about it. And Noah's, he's doing better. He's just, he's Good. really, um, but we had a great time. And then we went to the arcade afterwards and played beer pong. Yeah. <laughs> Which was, you know, interesting. Well, uh, I guess Aaron they, took him and Ben to round one yesterday. Yeah. Which is the, the I don't know, it's an arcade, I guess. Yeah. And, it's like uh, a jillion. She said they were running around and both of them were like, well, we, where we need to go is um, Foxwoods. <laughs> yeah. Cause they, you know, because they, well, they were those, gambling. Those, right? Yeah. Those places, like, I have, a, I have mixed feelings about them. I mean, the, the games are fun, but... 
at some point they get there and they don't want to play any of the like the shoot 'em up games or you know any of the other which games. Which is great. Right. They just <laughs> want, want to play the games stuff. that will give them tickets. Right. Right? Which are like None of them are, they're all rigged, you know, like you bang a mallet and a light goes up and it either hits 10 tickets or a thousand, you know, how many times do you think it hits a thousand? Like, but they keep feeding money yeah. into there to keep doing it. And I look at that and I'm like, that is, that is addiction. That is addiction. That's one arm banditry right there. Yeah. You know, just like gambling. I, I don't see much of a difference. Yeah. And, um, and, and not only that, but Noah was, he was like, look, dad, I'm gambling and sent a picture. <laughs> oh, of really? It. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's how gambling it was. Yeah. Uh, and, but they had a great time and I'm, you've had Noah over the house with, with Ben and, you know, um, he, you, you always tell me he's basically cool mm-hmm. and doesn't cause any, you know, that's the thing. It's, he's good at other people's houses. Um, well, it's only in your own house that he's going to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Kids, and, um, but that, I mean, in some sense you should feel good about that because that means he feels more secure that to let more of his genuine issues out. Yeah. You know, I wasn't planning it's on talking about, look at it. <laughs> I wasn't planning on talking about this, but this just came up. Um, so one of the things with this new therapist that I think is interesting that we're doing is I have completely disclosed my past. Right. And, and my wife and I discussed this. She's like, listen, if we really want to get, you know, the right kind of help, um, how do you feel about, you know, telling him just like everything, like mm. he should know everything. And I'm like, you know what? Yes. Really? Yes. Right off the bat. I'm like, I need this to work. And anytime I've been through a lot of therapy in my life and it only started working when I gave everything, when mm. I was completely honest, I never was successful if I didn't share certain things because I was ashamed or what, or didn't think that I said, you know what? Good. I need this guy. If, if he and he's brilliant, I said. You know, he's got like two PhDs, and um, he's very smart. And I'm like, he's a professional, you know. And that's how you have to treat a clinician. Like this is not somebody off the street. It's not your cousin. It's like it's a doctor. I'm I mean, going to play devil's advocate for okay, a good. here because psychology is not a precise science. It's not like chemistry. It's not like guys are creating a vaccine, which is why you need data. Yeah, you need data. So. I don't know. To thine own self be true, but not to, you know, you don't have to tell everybody everything is my thinking. You don't, and, but I think you, you know, have to tell a psychologist that you're you working can, with. You can, tell a, you can tell a psychologist anything, but when it comes to telling your kid everything that you've gone through. Oh, no, I, I'm not telling Noah. Oh, I thought you meant telling Noah everything. No, 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 no. Oh, I misunderstood. Telling the psychologist. Oh, of course I was wondering why you weren't agreeing with me. <laughs> No, it doesn't need to know. Yeah, I'm like, it may as well hang a sign in your shop then, yes. you know, that says, hey, I passed out over here. Yeah, and that's uh, that's what this podcast is for. We're hoping yeah. people will listen to it and learn everything. No, so so you agree then that I should be completely forthcoming with the psychologist. 100%. Cause, Even you know, though Noah wasn't sitting there, of course, so he's not hearing this, but I wanted him to finally, you know, I had to get past that embarrassment, the, is he going to judge me? And I said, I had to say, I don't care. This man is needs to help us. He needs to know exactly the situation because it is a family disease and it is something I'm worried about with my son developing. So, yes, I mean, that was I, kind I, of a big I deal think for me. In that me. case, uh, honesty is 100% honesty yeah. is warranted and helpful. Yeah, with with uh, telling Noah, though, I don't know how that's... I'm hoping one day he just goes back and listens to all yeah, of these shows. It and will happen. And he'll get to know me. Um one of the uh, one of the other exciting parts of our uh, of our rec- of our um, 
lifetime catch-up thing here. I'm losing my words. <laughs> yes. Is um, you're going to Mexico with your son. Yes. Just the two of you. Just though. the two of us. My, myself and my 14-year-old are going um, ostensibly to finish a dive package that I bought back in April that we couldn't use because everything got screwed up because my wife had to come home early and COVID and all this other stuff. So we had all these dives left in the package. So what better way to to get rid of them than to go to Mexico again and just do them. Uh, so that's what we're doing. Um, planning the trip has been a challenge and I'm, I'm kind of feel kind of funny not having uh, the rest of the family there, but um, I think it'll be, I think it'll be a good trip. I it mean, it sounds awesome. It does. It does. We're going to have a good time. I know it. Mm. And, and, you know, again, it's like the 14 year olds, you know, I drive him around and he's quiet. He doesn't talk much and everything. But if I, if I can get him, you know, in an environment like that where we're yeah. doing this, something that we both enjoy doing, uh, you know, he, he tends to open up. You know, I, the most I ever speak to him is about his hobby, like his aquarium hobby mm. or diving, you know, so we have that in common. And so. you took him skeet shooting. Yeah. So, so that awesome. was mostly for the benefit of my older son, because that is something that I have in common with him. So I, what I've been trying to do lately is do something with each one of them, mm. you know, that, that caters to their interest so I can kind of keep them talking Instead of and engaged. Everybody do one thing that none of them like. Yeah. Right. Which is <laughs> right. Exactly. So, <laughs> um, so Jack of course also expressed the interest in skeet shooting. So I took the two of them last night actually, and we shot in the rain, uh, pouring rain with this, this guy that, um, gives us uh, little pointers and lessons and how to, how to better hold and shoot the shotgun and take oh, care of it and so on. So awesome. yeah, we were doing that till late last night, which is why I'm a little congested because I've had gunpowder in my face and yeah. I was standing in the pouring rain for three hours. So, <sighs> but yeah, it was great. Um, I, now I need to, to do something with Benjamin, uh, by himself, so a little Ben time. So he wants to go to like uh, Aquatopia or something out in Pennsylvania. And what is Aquatopia? Oh, I've not gone to Aquatopia. I've never been. Aquatopia is the greatest indoor water park that exists. Ah, it's attached to Camelback Mountain in the Poconos. Oh, and bigger than Kalahari. Bigger than Kalahari. Wow. Yeah. Can I come? Yes, of course. <laughs> and <laughs> just you, me, and Ben. <laughs> in um in the summertime, the outside um. They have outside water slides too, so it's it's like doubles the size of the water park. Right, Great Wolf Lodge yeah. is like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But just I guess not as big. So I don't know. I'm I'm thinking of doing that with him or something else. You oh, know, he's cool. he's very like video game centric, and that's something that I'm not so into. Oh, funny! This morning he was like, you know, I saw Noah playing the. Um, was on the other night on the, the Ocul- VR yeah. and he's like, I, I invited him into my room and he didn't say anything. I'm like, that wasn't Noah. That was, that was his dad. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> oh, that God. Was funny. The VR has been fun. Yeah. Um, so that's really cool. It's a great idea. And um, I've heard about this before. I, I had a guy at my church who has four or five children. I can't remember. Like they just kind of look the same. So I think it was four or five. And uh, he had a thing like that, but he was from New Zealand. Right. Um, and uh, he would take gliding? each child by themselves. They would take a trip to like New Zealand or he would, the other thing he did was take them on a, um, an African safari. Jesus like, Christ. This guy's got some uh, money. Hedge fund manager. Ah, okay. And um, yeah, I'm like, and I remember seeing that and saying, man, that's something I would like to do. Maybe not, African safari, but just like what you're doing. Yeah. You know, once the kids yeah. get older, it's so important for um, you to connect with them individually. Right. Um, and yeah. that's, uh, yeah, that's very, Sometimes, very you know, they don't feel like talking in a, you know, 
big family situation, you know, it's, they, they yeah. spend a lot of time to themselves and stuff. So I want to move on to, yes. um, to this boat trip tonight that we're supposed to take. Um, so I, I think we mentioned it last week, our, our, your wife, maybe it was or mm. somebody arranged a, a boat trip to go out into was the, Monica. Oh, was it? Probably into the harbor here on on a uh, oyster sloop from the 1800s that now functions as sort of a um, charter boat. Yeah, and sail around the harbor for a couple hours. It's very romantic. Yeah, you know, with all of your closest with, neighbors. You know, thirteen or what is it, eleven couples or something? Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Anyway, so that's was that's scheduled for later today, but the weather forecast is looking a little dicey. Yeah, it's it should rain, and we're sort of planning on it being canceled. Um, but here's the thing is, and I, I've just learned more about this this morning. Um, my wife, I was getting ready to leave and she goes, Oh, Nat, I have to talk to you. And I'm like, "Uh Oh, what did I do? And she said, <laughs> listen, um, this thing tonight might be, uh, postponed and we actually had to buy catering for it yes. ourselves. So mm-hmm. we've got all this food that we got to bring on the ship. And she said that every, I guess the wives have decided that the alternative is we will take our food to the brewery. There's an actual brewery in our town. And uh, they have, it's like a big open space. They have games like cornhole and whatever else, darts. And you can bring food there and um, and then drink. You can drink right from the cask it was, you know, made in. <laughs> for um, hours. For Yeah. And, uh, and I just said, she's like, is that okay with you? And I said, yeah, fine. You know, I'm like, whatever. I can go anywhere and do anything. I'm happy, joyous, and free. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I w- will like it. But I thought, well, if Mike's coming, it'll be <laughs> fine. I said, listen, that's what I said to her. I said, don't worry. Mike will be there and, you know, it'll be fun. It'll be good material for the show. And then what, what did you the, say? What was the first thing I said when I walked in here today? It's like, I am not going to the brewery. <laughs> <laughs> like, so that was my backup plan. Uh, and, uh, now you're, it's falling through. And I'm I don't gonna, know, man. I just... What if I drink because of it? Then what? Well, I hope you don't. Can I blame uh, you if I do? You can always call me. Yeah. Or you could go and we could like hold hands and stare into each other's eyes. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's not that I don't... It's not that I'd feel compelled to drink in a brewery. I just, to me, like the idea of going out on the boat is a fun thing. You know, it's like sailing around the harbor. You're on a boat. Looking at the stuff, you know, talking about nautical things. <laughs> and, but then like eating, eating cold sandwiches in a, in a brewery, like when, when, when everyone else is going to be like getting shit faced, like just doesn't appeal to me. And guess what? Um, our na- one of our neighbor friends who will be there has asked us to drive. Why do you think oh, that is? See now, because uh, they know see, I don't also, drink. Fuck that. So I'm the right? designated driver, or the designated enabler, as I choose. Well, I mean, I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to have fun, and especially if you were going. But now it's going to be much worse. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks for dipping out on me. Hopefully, it won't be canceled, and we can be on a boat. Together. Hopefully, it won't be canceled. Yeah. So I don't know. What do you guys? I know. Think Are you about? mad at me for that for making that choice? Because I, I just. I don't know, man. I just, I don't see them as being equivocal, uh, equivocal. And, and I, do, I don't, while I can buy into the original thing, I don't feel like I need to buy into the alternative plan if it's not something that I, you know. That's true. And uh, I don't get mad. I get even. So <laughs> don't worry about it. Okay. When you least expect it, like a thief in the night. Um, <laughs> great. What I wanted great, to also great. mention is something amazing about my son, Noah. Um, so a couple of days ago, 
he had got one into gone into his room, you know, and which he does quite a bit. But this time, I followed him just to see what he was up to. Yeah, what's he doing in there? He, <laughs> well, he he was on his phone, um, and uh, I'm like, "What are you doing?" He says, "Oh, I'm journaling." Oh, I was like, "Say what?" And I try not to get too excited about it because the second I want him to do something, he immediately doesn't do it ever again. So apparently on his own, he must have seen it on TikTok or something. He got this really cool, like kids, like journaling app, which basically every day you log in and it prompts you with like, how did you feel today? And right. What happened? That was great. What happened? That was bad. And really? Like, how do you feel now? How did he find that? I have no idea. Huh. Um, I'm trying to like find out, but he like, he has this compulsion to do it because they get like awards. If you get like five days in a row, you get a badge and like, but I'm like, how does that make you feel? Are you enjoying it? And he was like, yeah, I feel better when I write. Really? And it just like, send me that app. Yeah, man. Send me the link to that app. I want to drop it on Ben and see if he bites. It's really cool. And you know, just when I think I've, I've lost him, you know, he does something like this and, and I just, it's amazing. So, um, yeah, I'll get the name of that app and parents out there, maybe, um, Maybe your kid will, uh, will do that. I mean, I think journaling is great, especially for him to reflect on his feelings. I mean, that's what we do when we're, you know, working with a therapist or anything. It's really trying to identify and, you know, say your feelings out loud and be comfortable with them. It's, it's great. Um, you know, the, the modern version of journaling, of course, is, is blogging, although that's kind of off. Right. That's the, when I say modern, I mean like 10 years ago. Yeah. I was about to say blogging is not something people do anymore. Or? I had a blog. I had they a blog used to for say like three years. The blogosphere. Yeah. You're in the blogosphere. Um, so also, I, I, I know this isn't recovering the news, but this is news. And I thought it would be pertinent to our, our local because this is very localized. Now, during the pandemic, um, the I guess the government of New York or Nassau County, uh, made drive through and take away uh, alcohol sales uh, okay. In other words, right. anything could, to make alcohol easier to obtain. So you could literally, there, there's a restaurant in our town that actually like really was a pioneer around here of how to do that. And he developed a drive through alcoholic slushy situation. Right. So because it was legal and it's exactly how it sounds. You drive through, you tell them how many booze shakes you want. And they hand it to you in the car. Um, Other parts of the country have like drive-through liquor stores. I remember going to them in Kentucky and thinking yeah. that what a horrible idea that sounds like. But uh, it, I think it's a horrible idea up here too. Yeah, um, I mean, I get it. They needed some help with the business, and this is a way to you know continue to to operate, um, even though you you know you had to be closed. But I mean, I can't even imagine what, where I would be if when I was still active, that was around. Well, you could also call and have alcohol delivered to the house, which is something in New York we were just not allowed to do. It says it on Uber. Yeah. Order alcohol. I can't tell you how many times when I lost my driver's license from the DWI, Mm -hmm. where I was home by myself, I had nowhere to walk to that was reasonable to buy alcohol. Right. I would have been doing that all day. Yeah. Like all day. Probably would have killed me. Yeah. So, you know. I don't think there's it's not a smart. lot of thought that goes into into that. I guess uh, I guess what's the thinking that um, you shouldn't take away people's fun for a small number of people who can't handle their booze, no. which I think is the opposite way of looking at that. Because 
most people can't handle their booze, I think. <laughs> no. And, and, um, uh, and certainly facilitating um, drunkenness during a pandemic will lead to higher social costs later on, including higher taxpayer costs. But I guess, you know, whatever. And, and I, I actually have an explanation point in, that is uh, involved in this um, article. Uh, Long Island bar and restaurant owners react to suspension of to-go alcohol sales. Mm-hmm. So... The error of the walktail, which is ordering a cocktail or mixed drink to go at a bar or restaurant is over. So that is our explanation point. It's a brand new word that was invented, you know, specifically for the pandemic. The walktail. It's called a walktail. On Thursday, the state's liquor authority forced restaurants and bars into another quick pivot when they announced via a tweet that... To go alcohol sales would come to an end the next day. Quote, licensees, please be advised that with the ending of our state of emergency and the return to pre pandemic guidelines, the temporary pandemic related privileges for to go and delivery of alcoholic beverages will end after June 24, the tweet read. Beer to go sales are still permitted as it was pre pandemic, according to SLA spokesman. So you could take beer out of a bar prior to the pandemic? I didn't know that. I've done that before, but I didn't think it was legal. I mean, yeah, I guess a six-pack, you know, but not like a big styrofoam cup. I mean, I, I've been at bars, and um, I had to make a train, and they would, you know, yeah, give, me give you a to-go, to-go cup. Right. But it was sort <laughs> of your a vodka nudge, rocks. nudge, wink, wink kind yeah, of a deal, you I know? I think so. I don't know. I, I feel like this is a positive move. I don't know how... Besides driving more business to restaurants, like how this could help. I mean, they didn't do anything like that from my store, you know. Like, yeah, right. Uh, right. Making anything easier. Um, you know, wh- why does liquor stores and restaurants get so much um, This American society help? is so miserable that it runs on drugs and alcohol. Yeah, that's very c- cynical. Um, <laughs> Sorry. And is, is that the, your exclamation point? Yeah. That, well, that was, yes, the explanation point. Explanation. Excuse um, well, today we've... Uh, I apologize. I, I can't help it, though. So, as you guys know, we've been talking about Joseph W. Noss's book. Um, w. Joseph W. Noss. And uh, his book, Straight Pepper Diet. Um, and in reading it, uh, and reading a follow-up book, which we are not discussing today, but... Not really. A little bit, but not A little really. bit. And, and the other book is called The Paul's Graph Revelation. Um, but it brought up something, and this is something Mike picked out of there, um, that was a great idea. And it's the stages. The th- yeah, the stages of recovery that he kind of laid out uh, in terms of how you think about things, right? Um, I have to say, I, I've been listening to, I listen to Straight Pepper Diet and I listen to um, Paul's Graph. And I don't usually listen to books. I, I read them. But you got me into this listening to That's books. That's great. Thing. And because I, I run every morning, I have like an hour of listening time. So I've been throwing my... You okay? Yeah. Throwing my headphones on and just listening to this guy. And he reads his own book, which I think is is always better if you're listening to like an audio book that's read by the author. Because you really... He gets the inflections right because he yeah. wrote the book. You know? It, it's and, Yeah. It's usually really awesome. Sometimes yeah. it's awful, but... Yeah, yeah. When they're good at it, it's great. And this guy is clearly very smart, and you know, you know, has has written a very compelling work. Um, so I, I just have to say, I'm really enjoying both of those books, and I highly encourage. I you knew guys you would love it. To go out there, and oh, my son just got a COVID vaccine. My wife just texted me. Sick, awesome. I'm sure he's happy about that. Uh, so anyway, I want to read a little bit 
from the Paul's graph. What is it? The Paul's graph solution dilemma revelation, revelation right? And um, because I think it's it's germane to the discussion that we're going to have. So anyway, Jermaine um, was my favorite Jackson. To be fair, really? No, yeah. <laughs> joke word. Uh, oh, that was a joke. Wait, hold on, hold on. Got it. Yes. All right. Timing is everything. <laughs> it is indeed. Um, okay, so he starts this particular section of the book by telling a little story. Okay, there's a woman on a subway, and these kids are acting wild, and they're bumping into people and screaming, and their dad just sits there and does nothing. The woman becomes annoyed and admonishes the man to please control your kids. And the man apologizes and explains that he doesn't know what to do, that he and his kids just came from the hospital where their mom died. Great story, right? Right. You never know what people are going through. That's right. That's stage one of recovery. Explain. Um, Well, the way you think about your relationships with the people around you. um, Right. the, the the, The first step is you think you never know what somebody's going through, so you should treat everybody with kindness, right? That's early part of your recovery. That's what you're told to do, so that's what you do. Right. right? You're trying to get away from this, you know, egocentric, right. me, 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 I need to feel good, right. and at all costs. You're going to yell at somebody else, you know, right. and you shouldn't do that because, because they may be suffering intensely. But then, after hearing that story over and over and recalling it every time somebody cuts you off in traffic, and you think, don't get mad, remember the subway story? Uh, the driver that just caught me, uh, cut me off probably has his dying kid in the car and he's rushing to the hospital. You start to question, you start to question that way of thinking of things. Mm. And that's stage two of recovery. Right, stage right, which he does in the book. Right. Like, what is this crap and how could this possibly work? And we don't even believe right. in God, but we're praying. That and- story's all bullshit. When it seems like people are acting like assholes, it's because they usually are assholes, not because they're in some unlikely dire situation. So instead of pretending that the asshole who cuts you off on the freeway isn't an asshole, you decide to simply forgive the person for being an asshole, mostly because you can empathize with being an asshole because you've cut people off on the freeway, uh, or in his case, he broke into a stranger's house at night and attacked him. And if and he says, if I can't forgive someone for cutting me off on the freeway, how could I possibly forgive myself for all the things that I've done? Right. Right? And that's so true, like in the way that... You begin to, when you're doing the, the work for recovery, the, you know, I, I can relate to this because, you know, you really start to think in those terms. This, it's more like, it's like empathy. Yeah. It's um, seeing yourself in other people. Right. It's like you, you're, you may have problems. You may be an asshole, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> right. And that goes back to right. the praying uh, for, for the people you're resenting, which he mm-hmm. does quite a, or tries to do in, in uh, the straight pepper diet. He's told by his sponsor that the, the DA who's coming after him like v- viciously um, and he loses sleep over it because, you know, she's been so vicious and he's told that, you know, he tries and tries, he tries to pray for her. Right. And then over, even though he doesn't believe in God, and eventually, it, it really does free him of that resentment. And that's through recovery. That's through his progress that he's able to do that and be free. See, this is very hard to do. Yeah. I was in line at McDonald's yesterday, and the and, and it was in Syosset, right? Um. So, well, we know people <laughs> live in Syosset. So, this guy orders at the drive through window, and or a woman, I guess it was. I wasn't sure. I couldn't see the driver. But anyway, them. a friend, I guess, of the person in the car comes running up. And instead of moving the car up so that all the nine people behind can have their turn at the window to order from the drive-in, she leans up against the, the, 
door and they start ha- having a conversation. And, you know, you kind of let it slide for, you know, 20 seconds. And then at some point, I just give a little tiny tap on the horn to say, hey, there's a whole line of people waiting here. Yeah. Have right? a conversation in another and time. Please. So I have my two kids and I have, you know, we're on our way to the shooting range. I have the boys in the car. And she looks up at me, the woman leaning against the car, and then just goes right back to the conversation. And I'm like, huh. So I give a little more horn and she deliberately continues the conversation. I'm like, here we go. So I start immediately getting incredibly annoyed. Yeah. And as are the people behind me, I might add, who you know also would like to order their chicken sandwiches and or Big Macs. So I lean on the horn and now it's like a thing. Now right? it's a thing. So you're, finally, you're I stick shit. my head out of the window and I go, move your fucking car, asshole. <laughs> what? Yes, I did wow. because I just popped off. You are going to relapse. And I'm not, I'm not like, <laughs> I mean, my wife may, may, may differ in my opinion, but I try to be good on the road. I, I have had times, I mean, this is New York, right? Around the city. So people have an aggressive style of driving. Yes, they do. So it's more accepted here to do things like that. And she's like, excuse me. And I'm like, I said, move your fucking car, you know? And so she makes a big show of like slowly getting (laughs) up, moving the car. And, you know, for, for a minute, I'm like, I just wanted to get out of the car and drag her into the bushes and beat the ever loving shit out of her. (laughs) (laughs) I can relate. (laughs) If we're being completely confessing. And then I started thinking about this and Mm. I was like, you have to forgive the assholes, even though they're assholes, you it, know? Isn't there some Buddhism that could be tapped into to cope with that? That's stage three of recovery. Oh. Okay. This is where the heavy hitter spiritualists reside, like Buddha, Jesus, the Dalai Lama, and KRS-One. I'm not sure who that is. But is it- <laughs> KRS-One is a rapper. Oh, is it? Okay. That's, that's a good line then. Uh, it's simply this. Don't judge at all. It's a 90s rapper. All right. Observe it. Learn from it, store the information away, and don't judge it. This doesn't mean that you can't react. That's a decision you have to make for yourself. Stage three is more is having more to do with efficiency than morality. And this is what I love, this next bit. It's often best to act like one of those GPS driving gadgets my friend has in his car. It tells him the fastest way to get where he's going. When an accident occurs on the freeway, the device doesn't express an opinion as to who was at fault, why the accident happened, or what the punishment should be for the driver. It doesn't get mad. It reacts. It simply recalculates the best driving directions based on the new path. It doesn't judge because judging doesn't serve its purpose. Yes. Right? That is some wisdom. That is a nugget right there, man. Wow. Um, Yeah. I mean, if if you can get yourself to that point, and I'll say that the, the frustrations that you were letting out, screaming, I have been... Uh, experience that myself. And I pride myself on being a calm person, diplomatic, um, not quick to anger. Um, but over these past couple of weeks, I'm noticing that I am losing control of mm. my patients. Um, and uh, I've been using foul language, you know, more in my day-to-day life. And I don't like doing that. Um, and, uh, and so, I mean, like, I'm not like judging people who use foul language, but for me, it's a standard that I am always trying to keep up with because it was the way I was raised. And I, I just, I don't like using foul language, like in regular speak, especially in front of my kids. Right. But, uh, so that's just, you know, part of my goals and being a good person for me. Uh, and so now I find myself curses are slipping out, like, because I'm being quick to anger. And I have, have you been to, meditating lately? No. Neither neither have I. Fine. And I think that that's why yesterday. Yeah. Because I started thinking about this after 
after the <laughs> words right. left my mouth. And I had an old boss who used to say, words are like feathers. You know, once they come out, you can never gather them up to put them back because they're, you know, you put your hand out and it flies away. And yeah. There's just no way to retract. No, no. Plus, I felt like I was setting a terrible example for my kids. Yes, you were. Who were, who were I must say, in, amused. Of course. You know, Dimitri was like, she had it coming. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, but Jack, and Jack was just laughing. But I'm like, guys, you know, you realize that's not, you know, that's not the way to react, right? But, you know, it, but they, they saw me do it. Do so as now, I you know, say, I, not as I do. I taught like crappy that was some crappy parenting right there. <laughs> Hopefully I made it up by taking them to shoot things. But, but. Th- but this happens to all of us. And, and just like you said, have you been meditating? Answer, no. I mean, why is that important? Because when you're meditating, uh, it's, it puts you in a state of self-awareness. Yes. Uh, and it, it brings you back. Um, and then when situations like that happen, you're more aware of your feelings, aware of the situation. And you, if you're healthy and spiritually fit, you are able to just take a deep breath and say, maybe, maybe those two, maybe they met in high school and they haven't seen each other for 40 years. And maybe there's an emergency, whatever it is. Right. Or they're just assholes, but that's okay too. That's uh, right. Right. Okay. And you, you don't need to expose yourself to these, you know, destructive feelings and actions and just because of them. Uh, so, but meditating gets us to a place where we can actually access that higher self on a more regular basis. I think at its, at its essence, what meditation, regular meditation does is it increases the, the distance between the thinking of the negative thought and the action that comes afterwards. Right. Mm. So instead of immediately getting out of the, my window and yelling them to move their fucking car, I would have, it's, it's almost like playing the tape forward with drinking. You, you, you give it a minute and you, you think about, you know, what your next action is. So you don't have to automatically react because you're more self-aware, right? right. Yes. So then he goes on to talk about compare and despair. Oh yeah. I say this sometimes whenever my wife is, um, compare and despair, starting to yeah. do that. And it's so easy to do keeping up with the Joneses. Like you look at our place and then you see someone else's where it's like, Oh yeah, they've got this and I don't. And why don't I have this thing? Right. That's why is whole, my life not like the whole that? Zillow app is yeah. good for that. Great. Right. <laughs> um, compare and despair is within the realm of stage one and stage two. And he says, ever since my crash and burn, people like to tell me I'm lucky. And they'll usually have a story of someone who had it worse than me. They'll tell me how a guy they read about or tangentially knew killed someone drunk driving and that someone is in prison for 20 years and living with the death of an innocent person on his conscience. Um, And then there's the reverse compare and despair, or as I call it, compare and rejoice, uh, which used to make him feel grateful, but then he started getting resentful at people who would tell me these things. I think about the myriad different ways my life could have played out better. Um, So whether you think you're lucky because you compare yourself to a worse scenario or think you're unlucky because you compare yourself to a better scenario, it's still a comparison, and comparison is a type of judgment. And when you get to judgment, you need to get to stage three, which and you realize there's no value in judging yourself or judging what happened because yeah. it doesn't help you recover. No, it doesn't. And you know, I've started to, to do that. And I, until this very moment, I did not realize I was comparing and despairing because, um, a, f- a very close friend of mine who's in teaching, uh, he's actually the guy that it was in that band that opens our show and closes our show. And, uh, he's a teacher and, uh, 
ever since I've graduated from my undergrad, he's been very like, you have to get your master's. You have to teach. I can get you a job. It's the greatest thing. You've got to do it. I promise, you know, it'll be, you'll change your life. And um, he's been really trying to, and so I've been thinking a lot about, you know, if I had just finished college, I was a a music ed major at a prestigious music school, which uh, everybody there got a great job teaching music on Long Island, like everybody. In fact, one of the kids I was in school with, it's the principal now at my wife's school where she works. Oh, no kidding. And she's like, this is my principal. And I was like, I know this guy. He sat in my, um, you know, music theory three class. You know, I remember him. Right. And uh, and so I talk about compare and despair. I go, well, what did I do? You know, Um, and I did a bunch of stuff, but I didn't do that. And I regret that so much. Uh, But does that serve your purpose of living your life here and now? Absolutely not. Because what does that do for me? Um, Besides giving me regrets and another reason to drink. Uh, And so for me... I'm, I'm really just trying to focus on what's the next right thing. Yeah. What's the next best thing for me? And also, realistically, looking back at my accomplishments, okay, like maybe it took me 25 years to graduate college. But in the meantime, you know, I started, ran and successfully several businesses. Uh, I met my wife, had children, bought a house, got a lot of great friends, you know. I saved myself from the addiction, um, which is a huge thing. I mean, we were looking, we were talking uh, yesterday, my wife and I, about all of the people we know whose lives uh, are either ended or completely altered and changed forever right. in her life. You know, there's more than more than a few and, and how destructive it is to families. I mean, her cousin died of a, a drug overdose maybe five years ago. Another best friend of hers is completely out of it, like completely. Like talk about wet brain. Right. Uh, wet brain is something they talk about uh, in the old days, which is when you drink so much, you basically have brain damage. So when you when you hear about stuff like that, do you do you say, Jesus, I'm, I'm luckier than that? poor son of a bitch and stuff like that because I think what he's saying here is like comparing in either direction is not serving is not serving a purpose and that um, that you know where you want to be is just simply to take the right action based on where you are right now without thinking about people who are worse off than you or people who are better than you you know better off than you they call that schadenfreude schadenfreude is yeah taking delight in someone's uh, misfortune right explanation point schadenfreude so that's what it is, and, and you're right. It's not. Um, it's not healthy, and and then I think that's what. As I continue to develop in my recovery and be more self-actualized, if I can use some therapy buzzwords, um, I love that. These term. types of things will fall to the wayside, and uh, I will be able to more uh, happily and healthily, you know, pursue what's best for me and my family. And uh, but it's extremely difficult, and this stuff yes. takes work every day. And that's what he says right here: that um, it's it's exhausting when you reminisce over countless scenarios of what could or should have happened, or who is more or less lucky than me. And he says, um, "How do you simply not judge?" And then he comes down on the fact that it's a practice, and it's a practice, and that's where his meditation lands him, repeating the phrase, "It's a practice," over and over. Right. Yeah. So, and that's the practice. That's the practice. Uh, so. I love that. And and that that's what it, it means to have a program. And I think some of the confusion goes on when people are indoctrinated.
indoctrinated to believe that there is only one program. Mm -hmm. And when that one program doesn't work for you, a lot of people, most people select no program. Mm -hmm. And, and that that's not going going to work. It's not going to help, which is why it's so important to be talking about all of these other modalities. Um, One of my favorite phrases is there are as many paths to recovery as there are people suffering from addiction. Yeah, that's not a popular uh, position no. to have because in, in a lot of 12-step, it's either you're in or you're out. Right, and, and that know. it serves nobody right. except the, the three people out of, you know, 75 that and, miraculously And it's, <laughs> get it's it. especially so evident, and I don't mean to like drag down, you know, the, or keep talking about this book, but, you know, at some point shortly after this discussion, he, re, you know, he loses two of his friends from 12 step. He loses that guy, Patty. And then he loses the guy he used to play golf with. Uh, they both, yeah. they both died. And he's like, my, my Rolodex is littered with, yeah. you know, tens, t- 10 or 20 people who just have died and have not been successful in the program. And, and I, you know, you know, somebody who is in a 12 step program will use that as evidence that, you know, those people are just, were not working it right or right. didn't do the, the things they were supposed to do or, you know, the disease is so powerful that it can, you know, I don't know, overcome, you know, the, the person. You just couldn't you know, get it. God just, right. didn't choose you yeah. to be saved. Uh, well, meanwhile, the other way to look at that is, of course, that maybe the program is not, yeah. you know. If you're what, in a program and people are dropping like flies left and right, hmm. Maybe, I mean, this is pitcher plant territory. Or you have to go through these incredible mental gyrations to make the program fit in your life. And maybe if you have a sort of innate intelligence or ability to to work your mind in that way, then it'll work for you. But yeah. if you don't, you know. I call it intellectual gymnastics right. that you must perform to make it work. Um, yeah. And so getting back to having a program, uh, you know, it, it's, it is hard to develop your own set of programs without having it lorded over you by like a centralized authority. Mm-hmm. I think we're doing that though. And that's what I've essentially done to maintain sobriety is we do things like this, this podcast, just doing this is part of our program. No question. We do it every week. Every time we talk, all of the things, the books we read, the podcast, the, uh, the boards, um, the Facebook groups we participate in, including our own, um, all of this is program, mm-hmm. the meditating for me, some praying, uh, all of that stuff. It's, it's actively pursuing a life of recovery. And that's, you know, huge. I think that it has to be every day. Yes. You don't have to suffer every day, but you have to do something for your recovery every day, whatever it is, big or small. So consider the stages of recovery as, uh, Mr. Now slays out in, in his book. And, uh, you know, you do, you could do worse than to go and pick up a copy of this and his other book and take a look at it. If you were a middle-aged, um, professional who has, um, somehow found your way to sobriety, uh, I think a lot of what he went through will resonate with you, if not the, um, two strike felon convicted sex offender stuff. Uh, you know, most of us don't, don't get that low. And in fact, a lot of, a lot of people are extremely high functioning and somehow managed to pull the nose of the ship uh, up before they end up in prison. So, yeah. And, and the other thing I love about Paul's graph, uh, and Joseph Noss, um, I, I haven't read a lot of books that really capture, you know, like I was on probation three and a half years. Um, and you know, court mandated outpatients and just Mm. being at that level 
of um, of control by an authority over your recovery and the way it's dehumanizing the way they stay the way he describes when he's taking a piss test and the guy's staring at his penis and that <laughs> feeling of just you're not a human being not only that you're a criminal meanwhile you know you are a free person you are on probation mm. but, but they can send you back at any time for yeah, any reason if they constantly if living they, if they, they didn't like their uh, their burrito that morning a breakfast burrito you know? right and, and he just he goes through describing and because i was went through this um just what it's like to come out of jail and be on probation and reporting to a probation officer and then having to figure this aa thing out because it's part of your mandate mm. like the mandate you i mean his probation officer was like no you have to get a sponsor call them like they're dictating the minutia and uh, and that's what it's like and the way he he describes the way he was feeling and the things that went through his head as he was sussing it out like mm. it, it's very real you can tell as someone who's been through it um it, that he really really was there and uh, describes it quite well, and I think it shines a light on uh, how how bad I think that it is, and and how backwards in in some cases, right? And how detrimental it is to trying to get clean and and just to feel good about yourself. Yeah, I just can't. That, that whole urinal yeah, piss test scene was funny because he, you know, he's in the. He actually had a good probation officer who you know that he got along with, but uh, you know he go to go to take the piss test and the. The guy was standing over him, yeah. like not shy, just looking right at his. Yes, his that's kid. what they do. And then he couldn't start, and the, uh, so yeah. the officer was like, "Are we going to do this or what?" Which yep. for me, I would never be able to pee if that happened to I, me. I can't tell you how many times, I, and eventually I got used to it because I had to do it for three, three and a half, four years. Yeah. I had to get used to, it. and I'm a shy peer. Uh, me too. Uh, and I pee a lot. Yeah. I just I need to go in the stall. I can't pee next to someone in a urinal. Right. I, you know. I, and so for me, this was horrifying and, and impossible because if you're not able to produce urine in those scenarios, it's seen as a negative test, a bad test. Oh, yeah. In other words, maybe yeah. a positive test. So if you can't give urine, that's a violation. That can send you back to jail. So how did you get the utopia urine into the, <laughs> the well, fake urine? That <laughs> I became a master at um, screwing with the process. Um, most of the time... I was able to fake my urine test only at my court-mandated outpatient places okay. because the probation officer, it was impossible. For me, I couldn't figure out a way to, to pass it off. Right. He was very, very staring at my cock, and I had to pull my pants down and just show I didn't have anything. Oh, like, wow. They're very careful. Yeah. The um, outpatient places, not so much. I could take a fake thing of urine, stick it in my underwear, walk in. Even if the guy was standing behind me, I had a technique because... They didn't want to look at my dick. Right. I mean, it's so big. How could they not see it? You know? But um, Overwhelming. It, but it's awful. It's awful to have to think about it. It's awful to have to do it. Uh, and uh, the punishment you endure uh, for drug and alcohol-related crimes is is awful. Things that shouldn't be crimes in the first place. It's, it's just no. demeaning, dehumanizing. Well, and yeah. I got through it. And I don't know if I'm a better person for it. I definitely have trauma. I'm dealing with a lot of PTSD over my past lately. It's coming up a lot. And uh, I wonder if that didn't do more harm than good. Yeah. You know? So that's that on this episode. No, we're not ending the episode. 
But that's our discussion on um, on the, the stages on the of stages recovery. of recovery. Send us a note, uh, Nat X or Mike R at middleagesrecovery.com. Tell us what you think, mm-hmm. uh, and we'd appreciate it. So we have a new segment that we're going to sort of gently introduce, right? Yes, called, I love segments called Web Wisdom. Web Wisdom, and uh, I wanted to call it Web Wisdom with Nat X, but then Mike's like, "What? What? I have Web Wisdom. I occasionally too. have Web Wisdom as like, well." All right, I guess I wasn't thinking about <laughs> you. I was really just excited about putting my name on something, but okay. I'm happy with. <laughs> I don't use the the Nat X moniker enough. Um, it's true. So in any case, this is now web wisdom. So what web wisdom is, should we explain what it's going to be? Yes, you should. I should. Yeah. Okay. But this is, your baby. This is really your baby. It is my baby. Look, uh, both Mike and I spend a lot of time on, um, on Facebook group addiction recovery, you know, forums, I guess they call it groups. And um, I've found that I try and really, when I see someone's post, I try and give like a as wise an answer as I can, something, you know, that, that can help, that won't be judgmental, that won't be petty, that will actually help the person. And I've been In getting, other words, like nobody else on Facebook. Right, right. I, I really want <laughs> the, to, You're the anti-Facebook. Yeah, uh, I, I want to show my love and support for other suffering addicts and alcoholics, and I try and do that when I see a question that I think I can answer. And so, um, I forget which board this was. It wasn't on our board, but if you guys go to the Facebook group um, for Recovery in the Middle Ages, um, it'd be great to uh, have some more discussions there. So, And that will share his wisdom with you if I you will, make, it, make it inquiries. <laughs> yes. So someone write, writes, I think this was the Naked Mind group. They, they write, anyone else starting AF for life with Dry July? It took me a minute because I didn't know that acronym. Uh, alcohol free. Alcohol free. Like mm-hmm. I said, uh, so is anyone else starting alcohol free for life with Dry July? I guess Dry, dry July. It's like Dry January. It sort of has the same first letter, so it's a good time to stop drinking. Dry July. Mm. I mean, the same sound, not the same letter. Um, and so here is my answer: You don't have to stay sober for life today. You only need to stay sober each day, one at a time. Thinking in terms of forever was not helpful for me. The same way you don't say, I have to brush my teeth every day for the rest of my life. That would seem too daunting. But if you get up every day and just brush your teeth in the morning, brush your teeth at night, you succeed that day brushing your teeth. And in 20 years, you will have brushed your teeth every day for 20 years and so on. That's great. Think of it as a daily health maintenance, something you do that makes your life infinitely better each day and every day, like eating healthy food and exercising. Yeah, and uh, that, Web Wisdom. That's great. With Nat X. Excellent. And Mike. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to have to do a Web Wisdom. All now. right, well. I'm going to have to be wise. Uh, we'll be right back with Recovering the News after these words. back yeah so um i guess as you know during your uh, urinary escape uh you began to have some regrets about um shutting down the um the brewery idea you probably are feeling guilty i feel a little guilty you do i also like it was not my intention to make you feel i guilty. also feel a little hungry and i didn't <laughs> realize like it's that all food. the food was going to be there so yeah. uh you know well i i wanted to tell you that 
whatever you decide, I respect your decision and I will not be mad at you. Okay. And you are free. Don't worry about it. If you're not comfortable, just don't fucking go. I'll go. I'll do it. I'll take one for the team. Okay. And I will report back. Okay. Okay. You're free. All right. Thank you. I, uh, you are free. We'll see. We'll see how the day develops. No resentments. Right. This is a resentment-free zone. I, uh, looking forward to the boat and the brewery. I don't know. Anyway, what time is it? Recovery in the news. All righty then. Um, <laughs> good. <laughs> uh, back to the New York Times for this week's recovery in the news. Um, I, this, I had a hard time deciding on the article because Grant sent a good one too. Maybe I'll hang on to that one for next week. But I mean, Grant sends us all the articles, but he selected one that he thought would be appropriate for today. And I just cavalierly tossed it aside and picked Isn't it considered own. like the editor? Isn't he like the news? What do they call that in a newsroom? The guy that like this, the producer or the editor something, or something? The editor or something. Executive yeah. producer. So anyway, this was on the list, but um, caught my eye. New York Times, uh, the article title is Helping Drug Users Survive, Not Abstain, Harm Reduction Gains Federal Support. Yay. So instead of uh, getting the DEA to round up People and lock them up right, for the, using the drugs. The roaming band of crack addicts yeah. in that city we talked about. Oh, last in Paris. Week. Yeah. <laughs> now it looks like the federal um, is that government the is getting some buy-in on the idea of harm reduction. Um, of course, they note that overdoses surged during the pandemic, up thirty percent from the year before. Uh, but for the first time, Congress has appropriated funds, federal funds, taxpayer dollars specifically for programs that distribute clean syringes and other supplies meant to protect users. Um, so, great. yeah, it is. They, I believe in this. I they do. go through a um, some stories of, uh, of a couple of different places that provide, um, you know, clean um, vessels to boil your drugs and water in right. and syringes. So you're and not so like on. injecting with toilet water from a public bathroom or something or puddle water. Yeah. Skid Row. That's what they do. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just horrible. Um, yeah, 90,000 people um, in 2020 died of uh, drug overdoses. Um, the staggering increase, uh, many contributing factors, widespread job loss and eviction, diminished access to addiction treatment and medical care, and an illegal drug supply that became even more dangerous after the country essentially shut down. That was the other big focus in this article is that um, one of the things that people are really looking at in terms of harm reduction is because there's so much fentanyl around, mm. it's um, providing resources so these... Um, these um, centers have the ability to test street drugs that people bring in to determine the presence of fentanyl or not. So, you know, if you're going to give yourself a hot shot or, you know. Yeah. Um, the way I understand it is everything is a fentanyl shot now. I mean, I don't even know that yeah. there's actual heroin going on. And, and that's an interesting point. Dr. Carl Hart makes uh, from his book, Drug Use for Grownups, which we discussed in an earlier episode. Mm -hmm. He talks a lot about having a safe drug supply and uh, and how important that is and off the bat it sounds insane like really we're going to provide heroin to addicts like what are we doing but it's well, it, i think it, it it makes sense on a level i don't know I mean, it's one of those things i'm still kicking around i'm still kicking it around too because 
somebody, the counterpoint to that is, you know, they interviewed somebody who said, you know, um, you know, if I know a guy who's talking about suicide, I don't provide him with a gun, you know? So mm-hmm. if somebody's, you know, has a, um, you know, a mental health issue, you, you don't provide them with the means to perpetuate the problem. Right. And, and some of this stuff is, you know, there's no, you're just given the needle, you're given the syringe and information is available. If you're interested in learning about recovery, it's a safety so is issue. It, is it an, yeah, it's a safety issue. You're, you're saving lives. You're also in enabling people to continue with the drug use. You know, and, and you are, I can understand why there's some tension there. There is, but it's so pervasive and there's so many people. I, I mean, maybe if it was only a few, we could say, nope, nothing. Like, you just shouldn't do it and mm-hmm. let those couple of people just die, you know, because they don't know any better. But it's so pervasive and it's really like, uh, it's a health crisis. And so we have to treat it as such, well, in my opinion. You should not be criminalizing. Um, no, we, we got to put these people use. in jail. I mean, that, 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 that's a joke. Yeah. But I mean, but then you put them in jail, you put them through a, a, a treatment program that's not necessarily based on science and you expect results. Um, I don't know. I think the whole thing needs to be looked at top to bottom. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I I don't, mean it's interesting that the yeah. Biden administration is, 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 is putting real money here. Um, the American Rescue Act includes $30 million specifically for evidence-based harm reduction services. Um, and it's modest funding, but it's a victory for the programs, both symbolically and practically, as they often run on shoestring budgets. Um, it's an enormous signal, recognizing that not everyone who uses drugs is ready for treatment, says Dahlia Heller, who's the director of drug use initiatives at Vital Strategies. Great point. Yeah. Harm Great reduction point. programs say, okay, you're using drugs. How can we help you stay uh, safe and healthy and alive first and foremost? So, um, Yeah, I'm a big believer in that. You take, you take an acute sufferer of uh, any addiction directly off the street and put him in an AA meeting or an NA meeting, mm. that shit doesn't work. No. Like maybe you develop trust over a period of time while right. you're providing someone with a syringe, you start yes. get the talking and then that's how you get them in. This is what Tracy Helton of the book, the, uh, the big fix. She is a huge activist and a proponent of harm reduction is what the point she makes in her book is about like you, these clean needle distribution sites, um, it's an opportunity, and they say this too about um, testing for HIV and hepatitis yeah, C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like this is what is a contact point uh, for professionals to interact with these people. Mm-hmm. And okay, maybe maybe you do like worst case scenario, you're giving them clean needles. Mm-hmm. Best case scenario, um, they get to know you. They come back a few times. They listen to you talk about recovery. Maybe provide them with some housing. If yeah. Like this is a contact point. Right. And if we're going to save these people's lives, and I feel like they deserve to be saved, just like everybody else. They're human beings. And, um, and we ought to, you know, fight like hell to save each and every one of them. And I think this uh, is a way to do that. Agreed. There you go. Okay. Recovering the news. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> I always want to say hallelujah on, on the air. Before we get into the weekend weird, um, I would note that one of the, Grant sent me a, uh, as part of the aggregation of, of articles, a very interesting one that draws an association between the attic brain and the predisposition to believe in, um, 
paranormal phenomena. Stop it. Yeah, I have not. Um, Come on. I did not read that closely. I want to see that. But uh, it's definitely on my list. <laughs> Please don't forget so that. With that in mind, here's Weekend Weird. Now, this is a big story, guys. This is not your everyday average Weekend Weird Bigfoot takes a crap, you know, on a mini <laughs> golf course. This is serious business. It was in the New York Times, which I'm not reading, but uh, I'm actually still reading it from Tim Banal's <laughs> Coast angle. to coast. But this this was on the New York Times, Newsday, uh, you know, AP Wire, everything. This is major news. Here we go by Tim Banal. Pentagon UFO report released finds no definitive answers for phenomenon. After months of fevered speculation as to what insights it might contain, the Pentagon's long-awaited report on UFOs has been released to the public. Posted online late Friday afternoon, the nine-page document is said to serve as an an intelligence assessment of the threat posed by unidentified aerial phenomena, or UAPs, as well as the progress the Department of Defense Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force has made in understanding this threat. As was suggested when the details of the report uh, leaked in New York Times earlier this month, the study largely creates far more questions than answers. Right. Uh, Though it does not provide... It does. It does provide, small difference, some fascinating perspective from the government concerning the phenomenon. Mm. The report specifically laments that the limited amount of high-quality reporting on unidentified aerial phenomena hampers our ability to draw firm conclusions about the nature or intent of UAP. To that end, they note that there was no standardized method for reporting UFO encounters until the Navy developed a process back in March of 2019, and then Air Force followed in November 2020. With that in mind, the report stresses that the majority of cases that were examined for the assessment came from this period of time. Additionally, it explained that the study focused on reports that involved UAP largely witnessed um, uh, firsthand by military aviators and that were collected from systems we considered to be reliable. I'm not going to read the whole thing. And the pictures are still shit, though. Listen... Little black and white blips what? flying around on the screen that these pilots look, who are 18-year-old flyboys who would be impressed by uh, no. anything. No. Uh, give me a break. No, no. <laughs> with this, this is instructive, okay? It doesn't say that, yes, we have contact with UFOs. What it tells us uh, definitively and officially is that the Navy and the Air Force and our government is actively pursuing they don't know what this shit is they have no fucking clue and what they do know is the things they are witnessing are not ours and and they have confirmed that they're not ours and uh they're not China well we don't and know that i think we do otherwise we would all be speaking chinese right now the 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 things we're finding are defying the laws of physics as we know it as Michio Kaku, a very famous physicist, has said publicly, we don't know what this is. And it's a national security risk. We don't know they is could, a far leap from the next thing, which is like it's aliens from outer space. What, well, the question is, well, what the hell is it? Now, Interdimensional beings, for could, example. Okay, that could be. But that's also a possibility. The other thing, last thing I'll say about this, because I'm very passionate about this, is... A possibility, even though I think it's very likely to be extraterrestrials, um, <laughs> what I think it also may be um, is time travelers from our future. Oh, I'd go with that one. Well, think about it. Um, well, why what, do they need ships? What did Stephen Hawking say? 
he said that if time travel was real, we would see time travelers all over the place. Right. What if that's what it is? My personal belief is that um, we're living in a giant computer simulation and those are just glitches in the matrix. That That's another interesting uh, theory that's being talked about by physicists, they, uh, that mm. we're in a simulated reality. Yep. In any case, <laughs> anyway, that is for another it's a show. Different and kind this of podcast is weak and weird. Well, we did there it. There it is. You what? wasted another perfectly good hour with Mike and Nat. Yeah, that about does it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com and check out our new merch page. Join the discussion on our exclusive and private Facebook group. If you need to talk, please don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media. Check out our show notes. Mike works very hard on them, and there are many hilarious Easter eggs to find. Listen to us on... <laughs> there really are. Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, and tweet us a twat, you twit, on Twitter. Please go to your Apple Podcast app or iTunes and write us a review. Five-star reviews will be read on the air. New merch is available at middleagesrecovery.com. That was redundant. And as we say, Noden proficiat perfectum. That's progress, not perfection. See you next time. Have a great, safe 4th of July, and above all, be good. Be good.